have you ever been told that you look like someone famous? Oh, shit. I was told that recently. Um, <laughs> that was the movie. The movie was... Oh, God. It's the, it's the actor who lost his arm on uh, Game of Thrones, Nikolai... Oh, something, I can't something. pronounce his name. Yeah, the the bad prince there. Really? Okay, who's, yeah, who's you know what? Now that you say that, I see that. <laughs> My son actually pointed it out That's to me. It's not we're, a bad person to look like that. I guess I don't. I don't know if I'm buying it, but I've been told that when I was younger, I was told I looked like Larry Bird. I was insulted. Oh. <laughs> hey, man, there's nothing insulting about that. Nah, well, you know, are you, were you wearing like the '80s basketball I shorts? Don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. I wish my wallet looked like his, but I think most of us do. <laughs> <laughs> I got uh, when I was younger and clean shaven. I got and long hair. I got Bobby Brady a lot. Bobby Brady, yeah, yeah. I can see that. And then uh, 1980s Kevin Bacon. I can see that too. Yeah, yeah, little Footloose In era. Fo- yeah. <laughs> so with that, welcome to episode 33 of what's back to just being stories from a bar and not stories from a virtual bar. I'm really excited about this episode. It's good to be out around people. It is. I am, of course, your host, Chris Osborne. For this episode, I'm hanging out with uh, Eric. I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your last name. It's Budrakey. Budrakey. Yep. I was close. I was going to say Drake with a. I was going to say Budrakey. Yeah, it's Budrakey. Budrakey. You got to roll the Drake. <laughs> Co-founder and content manager of True Brew Magazine. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks I, for having me. Yes. Thank you for taking the time to come out here and chat. Yeah, I like it. I like your podcast, and I always uh, <clears throat> I like seeing what you're doing on social media too. You guys are you're doing fun stuff over there. I try to. Well, my favorite is when I can just sit there and drink and let the guest talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a bit of a talker, but I'll, I'll so make sure you interrupt me if you need to. This is perfect, then. First and foremost, as I mentioned in my intro there, this is my first on-location episode I think since March, actually, since I was at Heldeberg Meadworks. All right. This is the first beer I've had, not at home. <laughs> and now, what are you March. drinking? I went with the Forever, what's the Forgiveness one? Oh, that's right. I, I, we just got up, here. Man. Well, um, being that we're here at Unified Beer Works, these guys, I think, are um, making some of the best local beer right now. They're just doing it the right way. I'm drinking a beer that's called uh, Right Time, Right Place. It's a, it's, a, it's a delicious pale ale. Forever thankful IPA. All right, there you there go. See, I didn't know what I was going to drink yet, so I didn't have it written down. And then my mind's going blank. You, you won't forget that. You'll no, be forever thankful that you had that beer. Forever thankful that I had the reminder. <laughs> Lots of reasons to be excited for this episode. Like I said, it's the first one on location in a long time. This is actually my first time at the brewery. I've had a handful of unified beers that have all been delicious. Yeah. Luckily, uh, on taps at other places and brew fests and things like that. I think going forward, obviously, things still aren't back to where everyone would like them to be. So I'll probably end up doing a mix of on location and just virtual episodes. I guess we got to let the data dictate that, right? I mean, I'm I'm not here for any other reason other than I feel comfortable. Uh, If I didn't feel comfortable, there's been a few places that I've been out since the world started to reopen that I eh, just didn't feel comfortable. I'm not the mask police or, you know, in charge of enforcement. But if I personally don't feel comfortable, I, I don't go there. These guys are by the book doing it the right way. They're doing that with everything they do. But as far as managing their reopening, they're very right on as far as keeping the tables apart. I was in here the other day and I stood up without my mask on and the owner, Erica, who's a friend of mine, was like, hey, <laughs> and, and not in a, in a, she did it in an endearing way, but it's all of us are creating these new habits, right? And, and, yeah. and it's not whether my opinion or what it should be. If a business says, this is what I'd like you to do when you come in, just like no shirts, no shoes, no service, no shirts, no shoes, no mask, no service. So I'll put a mask on. The thing is ha- remembering, especially after I had a couple beers, when I'm getting up to go to the bathroom to put that mask back on when I'm leaving the table. That's the, the new habit that I'm working on. Oh, yeah. And I think that's probably where people are going to get in trouble the most. Like, 
These rules are in place for a people, or for a reason. People wear a mask, follow the rules. I have my mask around my neck, so I so I don't lose it or forget it. Basically, yeah, and, I, and frankly, I mean, it's a big topic right now, but I really don't care about what people's opinions are on masks. I'd rather listen to a medical scientist. Um, diagnosis and professional evaluation of something versus my buddy who graduated from Lansenburg High School and got a C in science. If an establishment wants me to wear a mask, I'm going to wear a mask. It's their rules. It's, I'm going to wear one anyway, but, yeah. you know, either way, of enough of COVID. We've been dealing with it too long. <laughs> Hopefully things continue to go smoothly since places have reopened. Uh, this place does look like they're set up really well with the outside, all the tables are space. We're following the rules, of course. My hands are certainly clean. <laughs> I keep Purell wipes in the car now. Oh, so. yeah, you got to have a little hand sanitizer. Yeah. It's right next to my road soda. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> and like I said, Unified Beer Works here in Malta. You mentioned Erica, of course, one half of the what I'm calling the craft beer power couple. Her and her husband own the joint Yeah, here. these guys, these guys, I mean, here's something to think about. Last year, 2019, in the state of New York, a new brewery opened up at a rate of almost one every 10 days. I mean, if you do the math on how, how many breweries that are open, and they're popping up here in the capital region. Now, these guys were just before that mark, um, but all these breweries went all in at a rate of one every 10 days, and now essentially the world shuts down, and like your world is, you know, you got your business plan done, you finally get your property, you start brewing your beer, you got people coming in your tap room, you're getting a great, great uh, reputation and all of a sudden the world kind of shuts down well the breweries that were able to quickly be nimble um some breweries folded up tent and said oh we got to close for a little while other breweries like how can we stay open in creative ways and you got to see a lot of the breweries around the capital region quickly getting into delivery i know sam pagano and ch evans and oh yeah the rare form van and and, and these I love guys that van yeah man <laughs> white lightning yeah white lightning actually uh, those guys have done a great job too i tell you if you go down to rare form now they've taken the back parking lot area and made a whole oh big, yeah it huge looks fantastic patio. and i didn't realize it back there but two of the walls of to the buildings surrounding them are just covered with like like not ivy but like they're covered with leaves and vines and it's gorgeous and they, they they now have hung some tapestries and things to create uh shade and they're doing things like the other day they did princess bride movie night where you're outside drinking beers watching a movie i mean come on that's what the craft beer lifestyle is all yeah, about man, it doesn't get much better than that pretty good <laughs> in fact uh in your most recent no not your most recent one uh the one prior to that erica was actually on the cover i was flipping through it earlier this week it was a great article about women in brewing and things like that yeah I mean, you know with the magazine we tr the, the the spirit of true brew magazine is it's it's really about the craft beer lifestyle i've been working and living in the craft beer world for the better part of 25 years and there's a certain magical harmony community that i find in craft beer that i think is similar to music i think craft brewers are a lot like musicians like i want to listen to your record and i want to go see your band live and i want you to listen to my record and and come see my band live it's not about who's better it's well, about let's enjoy the culture you could certainly make the argument that a lot of them look like they're in grunge bands <laughs> yeah man. yeah a lot of former musicians in in uh, in brewing coincidentally but there's something communal about craft beer it's less competitive now don't get me wrong if i own a brewery i I want to sell more than my buddy's brewery just so I can talk shit, but it, it isn't really about that. It's really about the camaraderie and the community, and we saw that when different breweries recently had tragedies like Common Roots, for example, when they burnt down last year, just the whole brewing community. I mean, not just here in the region, but across the state and different parts of the country came to their aid and there there there's an article actually in the current true brew magazine i went up there and interviewed christian and his father bert about the new location they gave me a hard hat tour with my partner and i tell you what 
it's impressive, man. They're going to have a big beer garden out there and um, a whole new brew pub. So they're now not just the brewery. They're in the restaurant business, which oh, is yeah. a new world in for fact, them. Uh, they just emailed out an update. I believe July 14th is when they were going to open the facility for at least canned pickups. And Yeah, they're going to start with four, four phases where the first phase for them is just to kind of open the doors and you know, you got to see how traffic flows. You got to get your staff acclimated with the new POS systems. You got to get your your kitchen. All of a sudden, like I said, they're in the restaurant business. Your kitchen has to get their timing down. So they're going to go into phase two where they start doing you know service and things like that as they're ready. I always appreciate that about the boys up in Common Roots is that they're very tact tactful in what they do mm-hmm. and tactical. Um, they certainly seem like it. I haven't had a chance to meet them. I'd love to go up there, you know, once they just, get the place just up Just great and people. I mean, your, your story's from a bar, and I like that because you're out talking to people in the bars. We're... we're we're a little more zeroed in on that we're, we're craft beer centric and we focus yep. on the breweries, but also the better beer bars. I mean, the Henry Street tap rooms of the world and the, the ale houses down in Troy, the Rock, and um, you get down into the city beer halls of the world. Those are all part of that craft beer community. They're not breweries, but they offer, and there's many more. I don't want to leave anybody out, but I'm, I'm sure oh, yeah. I'm going to. It's, but well, the craft beer culture is centered around the breweries and tap rooms themselves, but the, the better beer bars that these craft beer fans i say craft beer geeks i mean that in a good way i'm a craft beer geek myself <laughs> not really a geek one of the things like what true bro is saying it's about the craft beer lifestyle we don't yeah. we don't rate beers i don't i don't put a beer on a pedestal and i don't knock one off uh in fact i got an old adage that i i learned from garrett oliver who is the brewmaster at brooklyn brewery and that is like um, a beer should only be judged by the occasion at which it's being drank and he's like, what do you mean by that? Well, someone's like, oh, this IPA is awesome. Well, I play ice hockey, right? It, it, yeah. And I love a nice IPA. But when I get off the ice and I'm sweating my balls off and I've been getting body checked and throwing my weight around and I'm exhausted, an IPA might just be the worst beer in the world at that moment. Maybe, just maybe, at that moment, Labatt Blue Light is the best <laughs> beer in the world, right? And same thing, like, I love a nice, like, an, an imperial stout. I love a nice, rich, hearty stout. I don't know, man. If I'm at a Beastie Boys concert, unfortunately, I won't be at one of those anytime. But if I'm at a no. concert, I'm at a rock concert, Guns N' Roses, I don't know if I want a stout while I'm out there. Maybe, just maybe, a Pabst Blue Ribbon is the best beer in the world no, at that moment. No, right? you're apps, and that's 100% right. You know, the certain occasions call for certain types of beer. I actually, for the first time not long ago, had the Raspberry Blonde from Fort Orange in Albany. I had picked up a four-pack. And it was like 90 degrees out, and I cracked one open, ice cold. I'm like, this was just a perfect hot day beer choice. Right, right. The occasion dictated why it was so good. Sometimes it's what I'm eating, too. I, did you like that beer? Yeah. That We designed their can labels. So. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah, my partner, Jennifer, and I, who own True Brew Magazine, she's a graphic designer. That's what she brings to the table. It was her idea to start the magazine. Oh, all right. You know, essentially, um, we're in our fifth year now, but five years ago this past March... I was working for DeCrescenti Distributing, managing their craft beer division. She had been doing some design work and logos for a couple of breweries that I had put her in touch with, and as well as DeCrescenti themselves. She had designed a couple of trucks, just a stud graphic designer. And by day, she designs the Conservationist magazine for the state of New York. So she designs magazines. And I got a phone call from her. We're very, very good friends. We've known each other forever. And she's like, hey, can I meet you at this coffee shop? I want to throw an idea past you. And her and another friend met me down there. And she's like, what do you think about starting a craft beer magazine that speaks to the craft beer scene in the capital region? And I just paused for a minute. Now, I had mentioned earlier, I think we were off air, about how um, 
I used to advertise a lot in Metroland because people still like to put their phone down and kind of flip through the rag and see what's going on. Yeah. And that avenue had just gone away. Metroland had just folded. And I said, geez, that's a great idea. So we looked at it. I, I'm, I'm a business person. I built a business plan. I just, I'm a certified Cicerone, which is... A certification that you get, which means you know a lot about beer. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a very short version. Uh, but I had studied beer history, beer cultures, the origins of beer, the brewing process. I, I've worked with many of the breweries in the region, and I'm just a beer guy. And I happen to be a writer. Yeah. Um, so I, when she said the idea about a beer magazine, I, I really liked the idea. The challenge was it, it was kind of a conflict of interest for what I did for a living. I couldn't really do run the marketing budgets for 40 different craft breweries and then buy an ad in this publication, be making money on the back end. That would be a good way to get fired. <laughs> so when I looked at it closer, I said, you know, I, you know, you you need to basically take over the sales aspect of this. I can't handle it. I can't have my name anywhere on it. And I said, you don't want my name on it anyway. If it has Eric Padraki on it, people will think it's a freaking De Crescenti agenda piece. Because I had worked for De Crescenti for so long, 13 years. I had run their craft beer division 10 years. I was kind of known as Eric from De Crescenti. People didn't know me as Eric Padraki. They just, working for De Crescenti, or I guess I'll compare like Saratoga Eagle to, working for the big distributors yeah. in this region. It's kind of like playing for the Yankees or the Red Sox. People are going to love you or hate you just because you're wearing that jersey. They don't know anything about me or my personality or where I've been or what I bring to the table. They just know, oh, I work for De Crescenti and they decide. They either, some people really love that and other people didn't. It was something that when I did come out from, I don't want to say out from under, De Crescenti had a great career there. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, we put together the idea for the magazine. <laughs> like I said, I like when I can just sit here and drink and let someone talk. <laughs> when we put together the idea for the magazine, I said, listen, you should do this, but I can't. I said, what I will do is I'll write an article under a ghost name. And uh, I said, I'm going to write the first article on Browns. We're from Troy. You're from Troy. Our company's called Collar City Craft Media. I kind of started my beer drinking chops at, uh, at that brewery in, in Troy. And I was like, I'm going to write the first article. So I wrote the first article on Browns. I called Gary Brown on a Saturday and said, hey, man, I want to come up and like proofread this article with me. Did I spell this guy's name right? Is this really your square footage? I had worked with Gary for more than five years. When I was at DeCrescenti, we traded another distributor. And, and, and brought Brown's Brewing Company into De Crescenti, and we really worked hard at growing the brand and did a nice job with it. But my division at De Crescenti had gotten so big, they split my brands in half. So I hadn't been his brand manager for about a year, Yeah. but I still overlooked his business. So I went up on a Saturday and said, hey, show me what you got going on. And he gave me a tour. And he's like, we're putting in a $1.2 million canning line over here. And I'm like, who's managing? You're going to cans? I said, do you know the challenge of not just going yeah, from cans or bottles to cans in, in your own brewery, but at the distributor and at retail? That takes precision and timing and planning and marketing. And It wasn't even that long ago they went to cans. It only was in 2016. The, yeah, because uh, I still remember seeing the bottles all the time. That's and, right. And yeah, they, they, one day uh, it was all cans. So one thing led to another. We proofread this article, and I was like, who's managing this for you? Because I know the way he's built. He's just not built in the management and strategic function. He's a builder. He's a brewer. He's great at that. And one thing led to another, and he offered me the job to be his vice president of sales and marketing. So I said, I'll do that. In the meantime, my partner was their graphic designer. I put the two of them together a couple of years beforehand. Nice. And I said, hey, you know Jen's thinking about doing this magazine. If I'm gonna come in as your VP of sales and marketing, I want permission to go ahead and do this magazine. So we signed an 18 month contract for me to kind of, we rewrote his, his, go, his go, to stra, uh, go to market strategy, his marketing strategy, uh, kind of oversaw the project. I was the project manager for all the artwork that when we transitioned from bottles to cans and then had to manage that process out through the distributorships and retail and get going from bottles on shelf one week to having cans on the shelf the next week. It was a yeah. huge undertaking. But 
I started the, I resigned from DeGrassini and started at Browns because I wrote this article for the magazine. <laughs> Sorry, I know that was long-winded. No, like I said, I'm sitting here enjoying my tasty, tasty beer. So your partner. What's the name of your beer again? Forever Thankful. There you go. Yes. Just thank you for the quiz. <laughs> uh, so your partner Jen does the graphic design. I was going to ask you about who handles the layout and things yeah, like that. Yeah, so she, so we, you know, one side decided, and it was a big decision. I had worked at DeCrescenti for 13 years, and it was a career job, and I was in a very good position. I mean, I had got to work with the best brewers from around the world and around the country. I got to drink beers and, and pick the brains of Jim Cook from Sam Adams and Steve Hindy from Brooklyn and um, Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada. These are all brands that I take care of. And when you deal with those brands, it's not like you're managing Coors Light or Miller Light or Bud Light where you're talking to an area manager who's reporting to a district manager who's reporting to a state manager who's talking to a regional manager yep. who's managing half the country. You're dealing with the owner. These are their babies. These are their brands. And they need to be coddled. They need to be treated a certain way. And the owners, I think, by becoming an educated beer nerd myself, I could speak their language because I had run breweries. I had been in the brew house before. I understood styles. It helped me with my relationship with them. But Nice. You know, collectively, it gave us enough ammo to, like, we know enough people where I can get good interviews, have good content. And it's interesting. When we started the magazine, I told all my brewery friends, I don't want any favors. Don't t- I, don't, I said, it was never, hey, do me a favor and place an ad in this magazine. It was like, here's our concept. This is what we're looking to do. We're looking to talk directly to your target audience. If you're interested in advertising, please do. If not, we understand. And our, our first issue was 24 pages. It came out in September of 2016. And I remember like, we had a business plan. I'm like, you know, if we do six issues, we might be able to make $500 an issue each, you know? <laughs> and, that, and it's gonna take us a year before we make any money. We're probably gonna lose 10, 20 grand. Well, that first issue, we covered our initial costs and our office setups, and awesome. we, each, we each made 80 bucks. <laughs> hey man, that's a positive. That's a that's a plus, not a minus. Yeah, and it was a 24-page magazine, and we grew it over the last four years. To I was going to say pre-COVID, our last issue was 60 pages. Yeah, I was. That's what I was just going to say. I was flipping through it again last night. I'm like, this is this was more than I thought. <laughs> well, one of the one of the things that I think makes our magazine unique, and actually George Hurst, who owns the Hurst Media Empire. Uh, including like the Albany Times Union and like 20% yep. of ESPN. These guys are, are but uh, that's where we print our paper. We own it. I'm the publisher with Jen and, and they just print it. We use them for their printing services, but it caught George Hurst's eye and he just wanted to meet us and had us up in his office and he kind of waved the magazine at us. This is about two and a half years ago. We were still young. And he said, you know, one of the best things about your publication is that your ads are in fact content. If you want to know what's going on in the craft beer world in the capital region, it's all right here. The breweries are talking to you themselves. The better yeah. beer bars are talking to themselves. And that gave us a little bit of um, confidence that we were doing the right thing. I was nervous about having too much ads. We try to be at least 60% content to 40% ads. The industry standard can let you go 50-50. Yep. We've had a few bank, few magazines where people have called us last minute, like, we want an ad. Like, we're not going to say no. Uh, you know. But when you, when you increase pages in a magazine, you have to increase them by four pages at a time. Right? You can't just put a single oh, page in there. It's four-page right. spread. Yeah. So if I get somebody who's like, I want an ad and a full page, then I still go, shit, i got to come up with three pages of content, which is not a problem. It's a lot of beer content out there. <laughs> so what got you interested in journalism then and writing? Um, honestly, uh, I remember I was a young kid. and Or did it uh, just kind of evolve? No, I was or? a lifelong hockey player. And when I was a kid, RPI was winning their championships over in Troy, and I became a big fan of the team. And... I just remember, I think I was 11 or 12 years old, and I wrote an essay about the coach. It was an English project or something, and the teacher raved to my dad about how 
your son's a good writer. I never pursued it any further than that. I think I just had it in my head that I can write. And, and I, I had traveled the country at one point and I kept the journal. And it's interesting keeping a journal because it's almost like writing a letter to yourself every day. But yeah. I, I think I just learned to um, articulate. And when you read True Brew magazine, what I my theory was when we were starting the magazine is I kind of wanted our featured articles to be like a Rolling Stone magazine where you're the reporter on the on the back of the tour bus with the band, right? I didn't want it to be all black and white and here's what's going on with the band and here's a review. I wanted to walk into the brewery and like, what do you see? And close your eyes and what do you smell? And what do you hear? What kind of music is on? What's the vibe? Yep. Before I even taste the beer, what's the energy of the place? And I want to be able to articulate that to a reader so that they can kind of understand that and it's I, also one of the reasons i like to record on location to try to get a little bit of the ambiance sure in the background. yeah and i think like that's a, important you know the craft beer I might have to tone down the background noise a little on this one but we'll see yeah we are in the brewery I mean, we are inside we're, we're sitting uh six feet apart and about 15 feet from the nearest kettle so it's whirling <laughs> but hopefully that won't be a problem that's why we're holding the mics much closer to our mouths today but we'll see sorry to interrupt no i don't even remember what i was talking about me either <laughs> You did mention your cross-country adventures, and we <laughs> talked a little bit on the phone, and you gave me a brief overview, and that was uh, phenomenal, actually. <laughs> Super interesting. So what was the story again? I know it basically led you on all the reasons you got to where you what you're doing. Today. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mean for it to set out to be a life-changing journey, but when I look back on it, Quickly after we left, I think I did realize it was going to be a life-changing journey, but I didn't realize it was going to be a beer journey um, <laughs> or, or lead me to a career in, in beer. But the the long short of it, and it's a little long, but I, I played hockey at Hudson Valley Community College. I was playing college hockey. I was tampering with some home brewing with a buddy who was doing it. Let me ask you this. Uh, are you? Do you have a favorite NHL team? Yes, I do. Who is it? Montreal Canadiens. Ah. Uh. I'm a big Rangers fan. I'm also a big Rangers fan. Okay. You're like, you can't like the Rangers and the Canadians at the same time. I'm like, yeah, I can. The only time I root against the Rangers is when they play the Canadians. How do you feel about Chris Kreider? Uh, it's great. <laughs> it's okay. great. Yeah. I, I, Montreal is, uh, doesn't let go of that resentment about him hurting Carey Price in the playoffs. No, no. I and mean, that's the way hockey works. Which I, I still believe is an accident. Just putting that out there. Mm-hmm. You're entitled to your opinion. I, I, I still play about 60 to 70 games a year. Probably 20 or 30 of those are pickup, but I still play. And the, the way the game works is it, it polices itself. That's a beautiful thing about hockey. Kind you hard follow somebody in basketball or, or football, you're going to get a fine and a slap on the wrist, maybe a suspension. You hard follow someone in hockey, you're going to answer to it right there, right then. Probably not to the guy you follow, fouled, probably to the guy who's in charge. You're like, hey, dude, that's not the way it works. And if I can't have that conversation with you immediately after you slash one of my games, my guys, I, I might have to have that conversation with you two or three games later. Oh, yeah. And that's the, sometimes it's a season later. It's, the storylines are crazy for anyone that doesn't really watch <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, if you don't Some understand the sport the way it polices itself, people like, they got to take fighting out of hockey. And I've always said if you took fighting out of hockey, the game itself would be twice as violent. Because the fact that if you, because if, if I could slash no, somebody in the back of the legs and get away with it, no retribution, get a penalty and go sit in the box and ha ha, he's hurt. Now, that's not the way it works. So, you you tend to temper your game based on who you know is policing for the other team. Yeah, 
and I love that about the game. It's great. And Bill of the Cop myself. Probably my favorite sport now. Yeah. yeah, it's it's my favorite to play. I always say that hockey's uh, twice a week where the phone's not ringing, the work's not calling, the wife's not nagging, the kid doesn't need me. That's my time, and it's followed by going out and pouring beers and wings on it with the boys. So it's oh, it's, a, it's, it's the only it's, way it's it an could hour get and a half to two hour game that for some reason takes five hours a couple times a week. There you go. <laughs> So back to your cross-country journey yeah, so now that I, we sidetracked there. while I was playing in Hudson Valley. I was homebrewing a little bit, and um, once I got hurt, I really didn't want to stay in college. I was just going in college to smoke pot and chase women and play hockey. Let's just be <laughs> honest. That's what you do when you're 19. And um, me and my four best friends got an apartment, and we had the best time and threw the best parties and did a lot of uh, fun, alternative, mind-bending um, <laughs> things and one night we were all up in a uh, mind-bended stupor and one of my friends was like how cool would it be to backpack across Jamaica and I was like how cool would it be to backpack across this country I mean it's such a huge country yeah. and like how little of it has we explored so we each made a pack that we we're going to move home with our parents for a calendar year try to save up two grand each and then a year later we'd get back together I mean we were all still in the same hood but we'd, we'd, we'd buy a van and we'd take off and travel the country and the rule is if, if you want to go there we'll go so I ended up moving to Syracuse. I played hockey out there for a year. The boys were all back here. A year later, we bought a van, took off, and uh, I didn't come back for more than eight years. <laughs> I came back. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I came back twice to visit wow. for various occasions, but I moved back eight years ago, and my life changed completely. I, 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 you know, I, I have regrets about not going back to school, but I, I really don't because the best education I got was by traveling this country and seeing just how awesome it is. When I use the word awesome, it, it's in the true definition of the word awesome. It's awesome in that it's big. It's awesome in that it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's awesome in that we have great people here in this country. And if we just, if back then I just sat home and went to college and watched the narratives on the news, I don't think I would have discovered exactly how cool and diverse this country is. But we made our way all the way around New York State. It was all camping. Our hair was getting longer and longer as we went. Made our way up in the, up near Canada to Plattsburgh, came back down to the capital region for a party. And then we'd been like, you know, two, three days in Atlantic City, New Jersey, two, three days in Ocean City, Maryland, you know, four days in Virginia Beach. And everywhere we went, we'd park at our campground, set up our, our tent in our, our area, and then we'd just go into town. A lot of times, like, we got to Nashville, we'd just park the van and just walk. Oh, yeah. We'd walk the strips, we'd walk the, you know, we were all 20, 21, 22 years old, long-haired, tattooed kids from Troy. But we had no no agenda other than like if you want to do it we'll do it so we mapped ourselves out to go around the country and we had a book of national parks and every state we were going to go through we would be so we're sitting in front of graceland literally a couple of the boys were inside graceland in memphis the other three of us have an atlas because there was no you know the internet and cell phones weren't really up and running yet mm -hmm. and um we're like all right we're leaving we're leaving memphis we're heading to west where do we want to go oh we're going through arkansas we found this oh hot springs national park al capone used to hang out there we can go we can go fishing we can set up camp we can check it out and so all right let's go to hot springs national park no idea where we're going in the middle of nowhere arkansas our van blew up uh, uh blew a rod through the engine so like i said five long-haired tattooed kids from troy stranded <laughs> in the middle of nowhere arkansas looks like a, a 90s hair metal band uh, 80s hair metal uh, band. Yeah, we were, well, we, were, we were pretty hard rockers. We weren't we were metal. We weren't hippies, that's for damn sure. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, although I can't stand fish. If I have to listen to one note of fish, I'd rather stab myself in the ear with a dull pencil. I'm on the I'm on that same train there. I'm not a big fish fan. <laughs> but that's all right. I, music, I keep, music, just like a beer, should only be judged by occasion, which is drink drunk. That's true. Music should only be I judged to, by occasion. I try to be tolerant of people that say they like fish and nickelback, but you know. 
<laughs> so yeah, so we ended up being broken down there. <laughs> and um, really long story. We were standing there for several days, but we, we ended up meeting Bill Clinton's cousin. And Clinton, this, this was in 93. Really? This guy had resigned a year earlier from state, state commissioner of the police in, in the state of New, uh, Arkansas to become Clinton's personal security director in his first campaign. Clinton got elected and then he retired and now he just like ran a, he ran a couple companies security. And this guy loved us. He just loved that we were like five kids just traveling the country free. He bought our van off of us and we ended up renting a U-Haul truck and taking the U-Haul the rest of the way over 21 days to Cali. So we went so to the painted desert in the back of a U-Haul. When you say U-Haul truck, are we talking about like one like one cab with like one extended bench seat? We're talking about a- we're talking about the cab where yeah, a bench in the front and then um, no like window to the back, just yep. a small cab. We took the the couch out of the out of the van, we took all the furniture out of the van, lined it. <laughs> While we were there, we had broken down. A guy had taken one of my friends to, he's like, I'm a carpenter. One of you guys come with me. That's and my buddy awesome. comes back three, three days later and he's got, or three days, three hours later, he's got two cases of liquor. This guy was remodeling a liquor store. He just said, help yourself, take what you want. That's fucking awesome. So we're like, all right, we're, we're going to leave uh, now that we got the U-Haul. And the guy um, who basically rescued us and bought our van off of us, they took us out drinking one last night. In the middle of the night, he brought me to this, who I later found out was his mistress, brought me to the front of the hotel. Of course. Signed for a couple of rooms. Now, we've been living in a, in a tent and on the side of the road for four or five months. You know, we were dreaded up and pretty dirty. So we all showered. And then they took us down to the bar and got us drunk all night. And he gave me five business cards. He's like, you're going to want to write these people and say thank you. I'm like, what's this for? He's like, we all pitched in to bought you breakfast tomorrow. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> and then when we checked out the next morning, we were pulling away in our U-Haul. There was an envelope at the front desk with $200 in it. They had all pitched in and said, put this in your gas tank to get you to Cali. So we made our way to Cali, and we ended up pitching our tents in one of my buddy's uncle's backyards. And we all took jobs to, to get raised to money to get another van. And one of the boys sang for a hardcore band with Stand here in Troy, New York. And he would come home one day. He's like, hey, I got to go back to Troy and make a record. And we're like, fuck that. We're not going home. <laughs> and uh, we all decided to split up. So on a whim, I said, maybe I'll call that guy from Arkansas. And it was a couple months later. I called him. I said, hey. He's like, hey, you guys made it to Cali. I'm like, listen, I'm not looking for a handout. Um, we're splitting up to get some work and make some money. If I came to Arkansas, like, I'll find a campground. But you think you might be able to help me find a job? And he's like, I'll give you... A place to live, a car to drive, and ten fifty an hour to drive a forklift in my warehouse. Now, ten fifty an hour back then was pretty good yeah. you know, for a twenty-year-old kid. So, <laughs> Greyhound bus to Arkansas. I don't know anyone. I'm by myself, and I ended up living there, playing hockey down there, meeting my wife down there, getting into the restaurant business. This girl that I was dating, who turned out to be my wife, was going to college in Colorado, and I said, "I'm going to come out and visit you." And I went out to visit her in Colorado, and I. Beautiful place for Collins, man. Just gorgeous. There was 11 breweries out there. I didn't know how much of a beer fan I would become, but I was like, I'm just going to go for a walk because that's what I like to do when I get to a city. I walk for miles, and I'm going to go get some beers. And I walk into a place called The Beer Store, and there's no beer in there. I'm like, what is this? And it's actually a six one-barrel brewing system. So there's six kettles that each brew one barrel of beer. And they were a brew on premise where instead of home brewing and messing with sanitation and blowing up bottles in your basement and stinking up the house, you actually come in here, you use professional brewing equipment, you're using the grains and grinding them up. They did use some adjuncts for some beers. They have all the hops, all the grains. And I, I learned to, I, I basically left with a job. And within a few weeks, I was the manager of the place. And within a month or two, I was teaching people how to brew. And at that moment, I just got really really enticed by like the history and origins of all these beer styles yeah so it's not just like 
what the beer should taste like, but like how they were derived. So I started learning about the history of styles and how styles were born based on sometimes it was religion, sometimes it was climate, sometimes it was geography, uh, some temperature, all these things came into play. And like, for example, like you think of, I mean, everybody knows Blue Moon, right? Yep. Well, Blue Moon's a style of, I mean, it's, it's a Belgian style wit. And what's a Belgian wit? So I started learning about Belgian wheat beers and you learn like, Back in the, I think it was 1700s, the church controlled a lot of the ingredients in, in the, that, that part of Belgium. And if you weren't inside what were the church walls, you really couldn't get the, the best of ingredients to brew beer with. That was reserved for the royalty of the church, if you will. So the commoners on the outside of the wall would have to use other ingredients. They, they had some barley. They supplemented wheat and maybe did like a 50-50 wheat and barley and then they didn't really have hops to work with so they used what they called gruet which is basically herbs and spices which included coriander and orange peel and they would muddle it up right and and they would add that to the beer so when you drink a blue moon or a belgian style wit now what do you get you get notes of coriander and orange peel and it's a wheat beer oh, right? yeah. and that beer was born out of necessity so every style of beer has a story like that and i just got turned on to want to know that style and where it came from and where it was derived. So while I was working at the brew on premise, these three gentlemen wanted to buy it and they were loaded <laughs> and they said, uh, we will buy it, but we need you to run it. And I worked for them for about a year and they came in and said, well, we're going to take you to Europe for a week. All expenses paid on a beer journey. Sounds rough. With your new wife. At that point, I had just gotten married and he comes in. This is back in the day of travel agencies. He throws the, the envelope in front of me and he's like, um, I read it. I'm like, this is for 18 days. I thought we were going for a week. He's like, oh, we're going to pay for all your airfare and your and nine days in Dublin, and then you guys can have nine days to do whatever you want in Europe. And it, wow. it changed my life. I mean, we didn't just go to Ireland. We we were there exploring the pub life, exploring the breweries, going to different breweries, going with the Jameson and, and Guinness on the same day, which I highly recommend. <laughs> and if it wasn't for my camera, I wouldn't remember Especially much. Especially on the same day. Right, but it's not about just drinking these beers. And now I'm in Ireland and I'm drinking those styles, like where the beers were born. And it just led, you know, I ended up going to, we went to England, we went to Holland, trying different beers, came back. And now over the course of my career, I've studied in Belgium. I've been to Munich a couple times to the Oktoberfest, which is nice. nice. But I'm over there with like the owners of the Botten Brewery, which is one of the brands I represented. Yep. And these guys are one of the five beers that can be served at the Oktoberfest. And they had the ceremonial tapping of the first keg. And yeah. we're their guest. My brother's been to the Oktoberfest over Beautiful. in Munich when he was stationed in Germany for the Air Force. And he likes to rub that in and not let me forget that, hmm. as I call him a son of a bitch. Well, that, but, that was a wonderful experience, but also part of that experience is like having dinner with the owners of the Spaten Brewery. On the top floor of the brewery, they have a, a panoramic, all windows on every side, so you can walk out and look at different views of the city. And they hosted a five-course beer dinner for us, each, each course paired with a different Spaten beer, and you learn about their history. These guys have been open and brewing beer since 1397. That's insane. I mean... So I'm sitting there, you know, when I went to Belgium, we're sitting there at the Merid Sioux Abbey, and they've been brewing beer since 1203. Not 1203 this afternoon, <laughs> since the year 1203. Yeah. Wow. And you're sitting in the monastery, and, like, when you go on a tour, you're not touring a brewery. You're touring a monastery. Like, you have to be quiet, and it's not big tour groups. We were the special group that was part of the ownership of the brewery. But those experiences led to my overall passion for the story the story behind these beers. So when I interview Erica or Jeff and I talk to them about their beers, it's not just like, mm, what's your philosophy on brewing, you know? Oh, yeah. Tell me, you know, tell me about the first batch of beer you ever brewed. How bad was that? And the stories that we get, and, the, and you, you loosen them up and you get talking to these guys and you realize that they're all entrepreneurs, one, 
Um, they're all artists in their own sense. Beer is subjective, just like art is subjective. Yep. Uh, just like music is subjective. And, and there's, there's certainly an artistic element to, I think, brewing beer. And what I find, for the most part, is they're all just, not all of them, there's a couple assholes, but they're mostly cool people. <laughs> There's a couple assholes in the industry, but for the most part, there's some really beautiful, wonderful people. It's And I've said this multiple times, just talking to a lot of the brewers or some of the bar people, it's kind of, it's pretty fun how everyone just knows each other like they're yeah. best friends. And yeah. it's great to see how supportive everyone is yes. of yes. each other. When, you know, business-wise, technically it's competition, but sure. And it's a really great community. Yeah, like when... when when the COVIDs first hit, you know, people like these guys, they weren't prepared to be just selling their beer to go. You know, they made their money or, you know, a good portion of it over people coming to the tap room and selling beer over the bar in a glass. Yep. So now all of a sudden you can't do that. Like I said, the ones that are nimble are the ones that, you know, stayed alive or are doing well. And these guys immediately realized that we need to can more beer. We need to make our beer available to go. We need to deliver our beer. And they couldn't get enough cans. There was a serious can shortage here in the Oh, yeah. I remember region. seeing articles about it. Corral and, and, and there was a concern yeah, of crawler and cans. And kind of came together to help with that. I know Dave Gardell from The Rock, for example. And don't quote me on this. I'm, I'm, this is told to me by another reputable brewery who participated, but essentially bought a truckload. I've heard the same story. Yeah, and I allowed for these breweries it. to kind of come and, and help keep them in inventory. And that's just another example of the spirit of craft brewery. I think, I think of craft beer in the region. I think Dave Gardell is a good example of yep. someone who embodies that spirit. You know, he runs a nice bar down there. He's got great beer on tap. But aside from what he does there, he's involved in the, in the brewing community. He sits on the Troy Craft Beer Committee or whatever that, I think it's called the Troy Craft Oh, yeah. Beer and I certainly don't mean, you know, just specific breweries. A lot of the bar people like, Oh, yeah, let's take a little pause and get another beer. Need beer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and we'll be back. All right, we are back with new beers. Beer. And, uh, Eric, you're going to have to tell me which one this was because I this forgot. This is uh, the one we were talking about off uh, off uh, mic here, the right, right, uh, right place, right time, right time, right place. One of those. <laughs> you're going to make me look it up. All right. I think it's pale ale, right? Erica, is it right time, right place, or right beer, right time? Right time and place. Right time and place. Because there's a right time and a right place for every beer. As we discussed. And right. this is a great time and a great place for this beer. Cheers. Right now. Yeah. So cheers. Clank. Clank. Uh, totally forgot where we left off, but that's fine. <laughs> I was rambling about yeah. something, I'm sure. Let's talk about uh, well the newest issue that you were kind enough to give me a hard copy of because... As we mentioned, we uh, there's just something about having a hard copy, whether it's a magazine or book, that I still prefer over staring at a screen. Yeah, I, one I of the love the feel. But it's, it's really rewarding now as we're going into our fifth year. This issue is our 24th issue, four straight years of. It's interesting. It started out as a coffee shop conversation and a concept, and we took it from a 24-page magazine to a 60-page magazine, and now um, Hearst Media, who owns the Times Union, they take each issue and digitize it which basically we give it to them in a digital format with live links to the ads and they serve it out to 25,000 e-subscribers of the times union that are kind of like gold member subscribers of the times union and it's a perk to them so every issue gets sent out to 25,000 digitally and you know they can click through it when they click on the ads it brings you to the website of the business and that's a new element we're looking at doing more digitally with this because we do know that consumers are consuming data and information on their phones and tablets but we will always be a hard copy paper. That's there's something about having it in your hand and reading it. I, I always tell my friends it's perfect for the shitter. Just leave it in the bathroom. <laughs> it, I can't say that it's not. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, just if you don't run, if you run out of toilet paper, don't use that. That's not. That's, no, uh, that's a little I, rough I around would, the edges. I would if, you fear know. paper cuts, <laughs> honestly. No, but we we're, we're we really like being a paper magazine. You know, we explored being like a glossy magazine and a real pretty magazine, like Delish or some of these uh, higher end food magazines. And 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 they're you know they're one of the benefits of having a graphic designer and an artist as a partner is. She's got good visual elements, and we can really think things through. And she's she's really good about bringing verbal concepts into a visual light. And we talked about this is the type of paper that we want people to put their phone down while they're sitting at the bar, you're sitting at the Rock, or sitting at, up here at Unified, and you're drinking a beer and just flip through, see what the local breweries have going on. I mean, this one right here, our featured article is is kind of what local bars and and tap rooms like this are doing to stay open according to the Brewers Association's guidelines. For and I was going to ask you about that. It was a real detailed article, a lot of great input from a lot of local, I mean, not just brewers, but people in the delivering. Yeah, we, we want to be an informed, first of all, first and foremost, we want to be a fun magazine. We want to be engaged with the breweries and we want to keep the consumers that read our magazine engaged with the brewers in ways that they can't always get by just going to the tap room. You know, you might not meet the owner when you come in or you may not get a behind the scenes look. But we like to give everybody a little bit of peek under the hood. And, you know, there's a calendar of events in every issue. The last two issues haven't had a calendar of events because there's no events. No. So last issue, instead of doing calendar events, we did a, a, a do-it-yourself quarantine pub crawl at home. You know, you got <laughs> that, one hour. That was fantastic. <clears throat> and that's like our, our website, truebrewmagazine.com, hosts all of our old issues. Yep. So if you were interested in looking at that, you could go back to our last issue. and I take was, a Yep, and I was, I was scrolling through that. That was great. Yeah, and that's yeah. Our, fun, our way of just trying to be light and fun. The cra- Like I said, the craft beer... Um, community is a community indeed of, of like-minded individuals that support each other. Yep. Um, there's a few people that are kind of beer snobs. There's a difference between a beer geek and a beer snob. You know, I, I'm uh, my favorite beer is my next one. You know, <laughs> and I love proper glassware, but I'll shotgun a Pabst out of a boot. I, have, I don't give a shit. Uh, oh, I don't really care what I'm what I drink out of, and it's funny because I have just a ridiculous amount of different shaped glasses. I'll use, I'll go through each one just to use it. Just because something new or something different, but not because of the style of beer I'm drinking or anything like no, that. No, I mean, just, it, I admit I have fun drinking from different shaped glasses. But. It is fun to drink a, a beer out of the style of glass that it calls for. Different glasses of beer came about over periods of time based on what the brewer wanted to perceive. 80% of what you taste, 80 to 90%, depending on who you argue with, but I'll go with 80% of what you taste <laughs> is aroma, right? Which is why when you have a cold, you can't smell shit, right? So when you're putting, a, people ask me all the time, like, why do a draft beer taste so different than from in a bottle and from a can? And I'm like, the answer is aroma. When you're drinking beer out of a bottle, you put that bottle up to your lips, it barely passes under your nose. You're not getting much of the aromatics of the malt and the hops and what that beer flavor profile is made up of. You're just slugging it down. Now, when you drink from a can, your your nose is over the slot. You're getting a little more aromatics, but you're really smelling the top of the can. Yep. And when you drink from a glass, you're getting the aromatics from that beer. And different glasses have different widths and shapes and styles to control the aromatics. So if you think about a Belgian beer, right, like a Belgian Abbey, mm-hmm. you drink that out of a big goblet, right? A, oh, yeah. A, a goblet style. So big open air. So when you're putting that up to your lips, before it reaches your lips, you're getting the aroma which is 80% of the flavor. If you hold your nose and drink that same beer, it's not going to taste the same. Let me let me ask you this since we're talking about the way or basically the how the container affects the taste. Heady Topper from The Alchemist. Okay. Have you I assume you've had I'm some. familiar with it, yes. yes. 
Well, uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to anyone at The Alchemist. I'd love to. It's in Vermont. Good people, good beer? Yep. In fact, I wanna take a, I'm going to take a road trip out there just to pick up a few cases, I think, probably next month. <laughs> because Worth the trip? You can't get it unless you go somewhere to drink it in-house around here. Right. But uh, obviously it says drink from can right on top. Yeah, that's just their, that's, I don't want to say that's a shtick. That's, that's, that's their thing. They're saying. I was just like, curious if you had any insight into that. Now, listen, like I said, I, I'll shotgun a, a beer out of a sneaker. I don't care. Um, <laughs> that's and, called a shoey in Australia. <laughs> I learned that. Shoot the boot. Um, but um, no, I mean, listen, if I'm having a steak and I'm sitting down for a nice meal, I'm going to have a Brooklyn Brown Ale. Yep. And, and if I have that steak and I drink the Brooklyn Brown Ale of a bottle, or if I pour it into a glass, if I pour it into a glass, it's going to have that desired flavor profile that works well with the steak, and, and that's why I'm drinking it with a steak. It's going to pair better. You're going to get the flavor profiles of the roasty and toasty malt flavors, and when you think about anything that's brown that you throw on the grill, like a steak, it's got malty, fatty, roasty, and toasty flavor profile. So you take a bite of that steak... You take a sip of that Brooklyn Brown Ale, it's like they're dancing. And then the, the carbonation kind of has Nothing I like bubbles. more than a dance in my mouth. Oh, yeah, man. I'll tell you, you, <laughs> you want to dance in your mouth, have some tacos and a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Forget oh, man. About it. I love tacos. Flavor. Flavor boom, right? Oh, man. So we, you'll see in each issue we focus on uh, two things. A style of the month where you learn the history and the origin of these styles, a little bit of the background of the style itself. And then there's two recipes where cooking with beer, um, and it recommends a beer pairing with it as well. And oh, yeah. people people have really fallen in love with that. We got people that really. I was just to uh, one that caught my eye was a it was a chicken marinade. I marinated there some you go. kind of yeah. marinated chicken that I. Got yeah, to try. it's just something fun to do. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Couple uh, fun questions here to try to wrap things up as we grow towards the end here. What have uh, what have been some of your favorite pieces you've done for the magazine? Oh, that's a great question. What are some of the favorite pieces? That I won't. I won't even limit this to something you specifically did, but yeah, I mean, in the early ends, early early stages of the magazine, I was doing most of, of or if not all, of the writing, and now we've. I have a team of writers that uh, that uh, sub- submit content, and um, but favorite piece that I've done might have been um, our second issue. We did Common Roots for the first time. And it was the first time me and my business partner actually like got in a car, took a road trip to the brewery, and actually experienced the road trip yep. in a way that I could come home and write about it. Um, it it kind of opened up my eyes to how I want to report on things. When I had written the Browns Brewing article, I had already known their history and known their culture because I had managed their brand from the distributor side for so long. But when I wrote Common Roots, I actually had to go up, do the interview, meet the brewer, and... By doing it with my partner, who's a designer, she had an idea of what she wanted to incorporate into the look of the article. I had an idea based on their personality. Just like I said, if, it's, if I was interviewing a rock band, the, the interview with Led Zeppelin would be different than the interview with the Rolling Stones. I might not even ask them the same questions. It's based on what's going on in their world. But just the experience. I, I've always enjoyed going to breweries. I've literally been to hundreds of breweries all over the, the world. Yeah. And, and I and still having done it as long as I do, like when I walk into the Anchor Brewing in San Francisco or Stone Brewing Company or some of these big uh, New Belgium or, 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 you know, Sierra Nevada, it's just, it's heavenly what's going on there. And it's almost like museum-like. The culture of craft brewing behind the scenes of actually producing this wonderful liquid is amazing. And the people that are involved in that culture and live in that culture are amazing people that I just... I love to rub elbows with. I love to pick their brain. I love to drink their beer. 
like I, listen to their music. It's if one you of will. the reasons I started the podcast. It's just when I thought about what I when I started thinking of doing a podcast, I'm like, well, what do I like? I love going to check out new places, trying you know new beers and things like that, and just kind of hearing about them. Stories it's, from a bar. Exactly. Just hanging out, drinking, talking to people. It's, Good times. Uh, you're told not to talk to strangers as kids. Now I, it's that's what this is. I drink and talk to strangers. Well, we had a phone call first. So. That's true. Not always, though. By the way, I roofied that last one. So that's I thought I was feeling dizzy. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not the COVID then. Also, that's a relief. No COVIDs. <laughs> Most memorable beers. Any that really stick out? Yeah. Well, you know, I um, again, I, I really has. I, I get asked a lot, like, "What's your favorite beer?" Um, I'm not going to say favorite because there's. Yeah. Again, well, the, my, I have an time. answer to that. Just... My favorite beer is my next one, <laughs> and I'm also a huge fan of cold and free. Uh, you give me a cold beer, you give me a free beer, I'm probably going to drink the shit out of it. Yeah. But, um, no, um, I will say that Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale, to me, is my favorite beer. It's always in my fridge. It's amazing how many brewer friends that I know that that's also, like, a go-to. Or Sierra's, I like Sierra Nevada. They make a lot of great stuff. Yeah, well, and they're, they're one of the innovators in, in, the, in the country in the craft beer movement. You know, we had Jim Cook out here on the East Coast doing what he was doing while... You know, uh, Fritz Maytag from Anchor had already started Anchor Brewing, but Ken Grossman from Sierra really was one of the revolutionary figures in modern craft brewing. Mm -hmm. You think back to 1876 in this country, there was about 4,800 breweries in this country. We're a nation of immigrants from Belgium and England and Europe and coming from all over the world, Germany, and bringing these brewing traditions with us. And beer was a part of everyday life and culture. The beer was there when we were writing the Declaration of Independence. Beer was there... In fact, it's noted in the in the Mayflower's logs that we must stop short because our rations are lowing, grow, are low, especially quote our beer. Yeah, and beer has been a part of our universe since we got here. But fast forward from 1876, where there's 4,800 breweries in the country, to 1976, we went from 4,800 breweries in the United States of America in 1876 to 44 breweries in 1976, and the reason why is women. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm half kidding. The reason why is prohibition. Yeah, yeah. And prohibition was started by the women's temperance movement, which were a group of housewives that were growing frustrated of their husbands coming home from the pub drunk every day and beating them and being irresponsible with their money. And this movement grew enough to the women's temperance movement led to prohibition. So when prohibition happened, breweries all across the country closed. And we had a period of year where there was, that's where that's where organized crime came from. That's where bootlegging came from because of prohibition. So we open, and then all of a sudden in the 30s, we can start brewing a beer again. But by 1976, it was like everything we learned about brewing beer, we had learned about making hamburgers from McDonald's. It was all the same beer on the shelves. 40 breweries making the same beer. Miller, Coors, Schlitz, Peels, Black Label, Paps. The Utica clubs of the world. They were all yellow, Club. fizzy, pale lager. If yep. you went to the grocery store, it was all the same kind of beer. It's like everything we learned about styles went out the window. And the reason why is breweries went out the window and only these big manufacturing breweries survived. And they created a light, palatable, refreshing beer that Basically Americans would love. Well, in 1976, Jimmy Carter got elected. In 1978, he passed the homebrew law where you could start brewing beer at home. And guys like Ken Grossman on the West Coast and Jim Cook, who's at Harvard Law at the time on the, on the East Coast, well, it turns out his family was a generations of brewers. And he, he was cleaning out a chest of drawers at his great-great-great-aunt's house in Cincinnati and found his great-great-great-great-great-uncle Louis 
cook's recipe for Vienna lager, among other recipes. And he started making this homebrew, this Vienna lager. And people were like, your beer is good. Just sound like how breweries open these days, right? But back then, there was no dark beer. Yeah. So he went to a local brewery in Boston and said, hey, can you produce a batch of this and bottle it for me? And he went door to door. Jim Cook, who's a billionaire now, and people thumb their nose at Sam Adams. Anyone who thumbs that nose at Sam Adams, they, they're not paying attention. If it wasn't for Sam Adams, most of these breweries that I, we're enjoying today probably wouldn't be here. I enjoy their seasonals. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm listen, I'm not here to say whether their beer is good or not good. Again, beer, beer depends beer. on the occasion at which I'm drinking. I'll tell you what, I was in an for. airport a couple months ago, and they had like Bud Light, some other yellow fizzy beer on and Sam Lager. I and I'm like, you Sam, know what? I go Sam in that situation. I said, give me a Sam Adams. I hadn't had a Sam Lager in about five years. I was like, holy shit, I forgot how good this beer is. It was great. Based on the occasion and the moment yeah. that I was in. My point is, Jim Cook went door to door and he finally got one bar, Doyle's in Boston, to carry his beer. They were all, people were like, we don't want this dark beer. And Doyle's ordered two cases of beer. And a week later, they ordered five cases of beer. And then the bar down the street wanted it. And within a, a few months, he had seven or eight bars around Boston. First ever Great American Beer Festival back in 84. He submits his beer into the contest, not knowing anything about it or what's going to happen. His beer gets voted the best beer in America. Later on in 1985, he's in front of the White House holding up his beer and this guy's an he was a harvard law grad he went he went for it in brewing yep and um just an example of like the pioneers so you say my favorite beers i'm, I'm i know i'm long-winded sierra nevada pale ale to me is the quintessential beer and tastes like it's supposed to taste it's delicious every time talking when i talked to scott veltman a love couple, scott couple episodes yeah he's a handsome guy oh absolutely stunning great kisser easy on the eyes mm-hmm uh, hilarious guy, but he mentioned that before the uh, pandemic and everything started, they were talking about a collaboration with Sierra Nevada. Him and Dietrich had gone out to the West Coast and met their head uh, farmers, the wrong word, but person in charge of like, yeah. their hops and things yeah, like yeah. that, probably. But And they were trying to work something out, I think. Well, I Dieter, don't know what that's Dieter and to. Scott over there at Indian Ladder, they got their stuff together. They're yeah, really innovative. They, they're, they're making good beer, good absolutely. people. I learned, uh, I took some hop growing lessons at at uh, their farm before they were a brewery. We were, we were studying for our Cicerone exam and I wanted to get closer to how hops are actually grown and produced. And uh, we, he kind of used us as a guinea pig for putting together a class and we all grew our own hop vines. It was fun. Nice. It was before Scott was there. Uh, other, other favorite beers I would say is I think um, Pabst Blue Ribbon is another beer that I, is a go-to for me. PBR, me ASAP. It's just a, it's just a nice drinking beer. It's the best beer out there when I find myself with only 2 or $3 on I'm at the bar. Yeah. Well, what, what <laughs> people don't like, and I, I really don't care whether they like it or no, not, is I don't like uh, double IPAs, and I don't like New England-style IPAs. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's just not for me. Just like I don't like country music doesn't mean country music sucks. I'm with you on country music. Yeah, it doesn't mean it sucks. It just It's not for me. Now, personally, I think it sucks, but it doesn't mean it sucks. <laughs> I, think it's I, the, think that. I think it's the root of the majority of problems. And I've had a couple di- double IPAs or, or New England-style IPAs. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. I'll drink one of them. And then I want to drink beers. I like a nice – I don't want a session beer. I just want a beer that I can drink a lot of. Yep. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, right. it doesn't make me an alcoholic, does it? No. Alcoholics go to meetings. Functional. Yeah, yeah right. As yeah. long as you can say functional yeah. alcoholic, you're fine. I enjoy one my le- beer. <laughs> Let's wrap this up with one more question. person that's never been to the area before asks you to name three places they that are a must for them to check out. After you tell them Unified, what are the other two? You see what I did there? Yeah, I see. <laughs> so, I see we did there. I think, you know, if it was, if it was pertaining to breweries... You know, I want to be let's careful. Per, let's keep it. Let's pertain strictly breweries. Yeah, I got to be careful what I say because they're all my clients. Um, uh, now, I, I, it's limiting, say, well, there's 
number of great choices. Yeah, well, here's what I'll say. I'll say here's three breweries that I like. There's a lot more than that, but... And I'll do it by region, not for any reason. Okay. Um, uh, certainly, I think Unified Brewing Company is is um, emerging in Saratoga County as a special place that's making really, really reputable and good beer. I can say, like, I'm sure I mentioned this earlier in the episode, I've had a handful of their beers at bars that have had them on tap, luckily around by where I live, and they've all been fucking fantastic. Yeah, um, so Unified is on that list. I will, I will give them a, a tilt to the cap, the common roots for their, their versatility. They're just straight up like grunge-like hard work, and they're able to persevere. Uh, also, their beer is damn good. Oh, yeah. I don't judge a brewery just by how good their beer is. I want a beer to taste like a style supposed to taste, right? I, like if I go to I get a cheeseburger, I can get a cheeseburger from Applebee's, Joe's Pubs, the Ale House, Friday's, you or Chili's. A, you it should still be ground beef with a cheese on it on a bun. You expect a certain... At least some certain level. Right. Of they might have their change. own salt and pepper mix or whatever, but I still want it to be a cheeseburger. If I go to a brewery and I order a pale ale and I get, I'm like, this isn't a pale ale. Yeah. So being true to style is important. I think um, when you get down into Troy, uh, Rare Form is doing a really nice job. Uh, Kevin uh, has got uh, some really nice beers and, oh, yeah. and diverse beers on tap. And what I like is it's around the corner from the Ale House, and uh, not the Ale House. The Ale House is my go-to bar. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a around the corner from the Ruck, uh, so you can make a nice little yep. road trip out of it. And if I was going to go to Albany. There's a lot going on. Um, I, I like Nine Pin Cidery. I think yeah. their little tap room down there is good. Ford Orange is around the corner from there, and they're, I mean, they're, it's they're, like a block up and like yeah, two they're, over. They're, or something their like beers that, are nice. No one's gonna walk in like whoa. And I, I don't need a beer to do that for me. But they got a nice tap room and generally nice people. Yep. Um, there's more to be named, but I would say to, to people that were coming in from the out of the area, if you're Albany, I'd go say, go hit Nine Pin and then shoot over for a nightcap at Ford Orange. If you're you're up north, go up to to. Uh, to Common Roots. If you're in the middle of the capital region, go to Unified. If you're in Troy, go to Rare Form. <laughs> Just and then go to the Ale House and get some chicken wings because they got the best wings in the capital region. The Ale region. House, huh? The Ale House in Troy. It's a hidden gem. What about the Ruck? I like the Ruck. Top-notch wings there, too. Good wings. Good wings. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of Stories from a Bar. Big thank you, Eric, for Thanks hanging for having out, me. having some beers, and telling me your stories. Super interesting. I love the cross-country. Well, the, I mean, the cross-country stuff is great. I haven't driven cross-country a few, maybe, I'm 36 now, back when I was 25-ish, somewhere around there. My buddy Nick and I took a road trip down to South Carolina because I lived down there for five years, even though I'm from this area. So I had a bunch of friends kind of scattered all road over the state. Road trips are a blast. And I, at the time, I had a Jeep Wrangler. So we had the top down like the whole fucking time, other than, you know, the main drive down and back. Nice. So, and just traveling around the state, visiting friends, just road trips are fucking awesome. If you can do it, go out there and just explore. Best experience I've ever had. Yeah, oh yeah. I'll now we take a road trip to a brewery. There, there's an article on each issue that's called the Craft Beer Road Trip. We used to label it the Craft Beer Road Trip, but it's about like, hey, you're going to go up to Common Roots, take an hour drive. Take a bone cruise, throw some tunes on, a couple yeah, of road man. sodas. I don't recommend that. And, <laughs> no, uh, no, have a leave good time. those closed until you get home. As long as you got a detonated driver. Yeah, or that, yes. <laughs> so, like I said, thank you for hanging out, having Cheers. a drink, sharing your stories. It's been super fun. Uh, you can check out a number of the True Brew issues back on their website, of course, truebrewmagazine.com. And be sure to keep an eye out if you see the hard copies, because those are where it's really at. That's the heart and soul of True Brew Magazine is the hard copy. Be sure to follow True Brew on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and anything else you'd like to throw in there? No, thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Thank you. And as I mentioned this before we started, love the Beastie Boys shirt. Ah, cheers. <laughs> Another shout out to 
Unified, of course, for letting us hang out and record. Great beers. Be sure to check them out in Malta. Lastly, of course, thank you to everyone out there for checking out the show. You can find Stories from a Bar on Facebook. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, at StoriesFAB. You'll find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, pretty much where you would expect to find the show. Uh, So be sure to subscribe and even more importantly, leave a fantastic review. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.